0: All right, well, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 56. This is, this is the, the text. This is the text of Jesus' death. If you will stand with me, we're going to read together. Or I'm going to read it out loud. You can read along silently. This is the word of the Lord to us. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women who, who were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to Him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. This is the, the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to Good Friday in, in the, the rhythm of Holy Week, to remember the cost of sin, the depth of your love, the absolute sinfulness of sin, and the, the great climax of your redemptive plan, which you Initiated with the Son and with the Holy Spirit before the foundations of the world, that you planned and and prepared for us and promised even in Genesis chapter 3. God, we thank you for your son. And God, I pray that by your Spirit, Father, would you open our eyes to see Jesus as the Son of God. God, I pray that as we consider your son, that we would not just consider him to be a wise teacher or a helpful religious man, but that we would submit ourselves to him, the one who shed his blood that we might receive salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Well, tonight I wanna talk about four things I want to talk about the cry of Jesus, really the cries of Jesus. The confirmation about Jesus. The confession about Jesus and the companions of Jesus. The cries of Jesus. The confirmation about Jesus and the confessions and companions of Jesus. Jesus in this in this passage is suffering and and lest we we just run in to the point of him giving up his life, I want for us to take a moment and, and think about what is going on. If you were to back up and read a little bit beforehand, you would find out that he had been arrested, and that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying and praying and praying and wrestling with the will of God. Have you ever wrestled with the will of God? Have you ever been up At night, because of the anxiety you were feeling and you were praying and asking God, would you do something in this circumstance? Would you do something in this situation? And the morning comes and you find yourself tired because you've not really gotten any sleep. Jesus was tired. Not only that, he was arrested and he's betrayed by one of the 12 men who he'd followed and cared for, cared with, ministered with. This man who he had poured his life and ministry into, this was not a week-to-week service. This wasn't just Jesus uh, going and giving him a one-hour class once a week. No, Judas had been with Jesus. John had been with Jesus. James had been, Peter had been with Jesus. These men had devoted a great amount of time and energy into Jesus, and Jesus had he devoted his life into them. But that night, they, they scattered. They leave him in Matthew chapter twenty six, verse twenty six. It says that as he is as he is arrested, um, sorry, twenty six fifty six. Can't read my own handwriting. Uh, the disciples left and fled. So Jesus is now tired, exhausted, betrayed, deserted. He was suffering, and he goes before Pilate, and Pilate has this conversation. He's not really interested in, in, in condemning this guy. He doesn't really even understand why he's standing in front of him, and so he talks to the Jewish leaders and says, this guy, what's the deal with this? We, we, why, don't, why don't I free Barabbas? And this conversation ensues, and they basically force him to free an insurrectionist, Barabbas, and, and, and for, well, they don't force him, but they, they beg him, they, they call for him to crucify Jesus. And so, in a little footnote, it says that he has him scourged, and so Jesus is scourged. And what does that mean? That means that one of the professional executioners takes a whip with nine lashes, we don't know exactly, but but a lot of lashes, and, and it's leather that has metal and glass um, tied to the ends, and they beat Jesus' back. This isn't a single whip and a man that hurt. No flesh is ripped from his back. Lacerations deep in his muscles. And Jesus is he's beaten. The soldiers mock him. As he's taken off to be crucified, they, they say, hail, king of the Jews. They take off his clothes and give him a, a robe. And they, they, they take the time and energy that it would take to get a thorny uh, branch and create this, this crown and put it on his head. And they pierce his head. Blood begins to flow down. I imagine it stings because he's sweating. He's beaten. He's mocked. They spit on him and strike him on the head. Then they take him to Golgotha to be crucified. And I don't—I don't know. I, I didn't do enough research, but I don't know if they have him lay down or if he leans back. But can you imagine the moment that the person comes with the nail? I don't know if they have to hold him and or tie him down, but they—they they aim it correctly. And he's in pain. They crucify him. This man who had done nothing wrong was now nailed to a cross between two thieves. Physically in pain, completely humiliated, treated like refuse. And so he was suffering. And in that, in that time, he cries out and he says this in verse 47. He says, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's crazy about the suffering of Christ is, as bad as that whole visceral description was, the worst part of it was the fact that he was forsaken by God himself. He was forsaken by his Father. Now, I can't easily add up how a person of the Trinity is, is in some way, shape, or form separated, but we see clearly that Matthew is expressing that Jesus feels separated from God, And of all the things he could comment on, my hands, my feet, my back, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? You know, the thing about Jesus is that he knew that men would forsake him. It says in in his ministry that he did not entrust himself to men because he knew what was in them. But in this moment, he's, he's looking at his Father. He's looking at God. And in Matthew, in Matthew, he, he never refers to God the Father as God, apart from this place. It's always Father. He, he relates to as Father, but in this moment, he is separated, and there's a separation in that relationship to, this, to the degree that he's yelling, my God, my God. In his humanity, he is feeling this separation the most conspicuous aspect of his suffering was not the lacerations on his back it was not the cuts or the punctures of the thorns it wasn't even the metal nails which now from which he hung Jesus was forsaken by God the greatest suffering he experienced was his separation from his father and so he cries out now, the bystanders, they don't understand. They don't get it. I mean, it's it's almost Twilight Zone as you think about the inner turmoil of what he's feeling and how just mean these people are. Uh, if you if you read, it says this, uh, This man's calling Elijah. And then one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed. And, and commentators are, are split whether or not this was a kind act or an unkind act. But the other guy comes and he says, uh, he, he says, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down and save him. And, and there, were some, there were some superstitions that, that uh, people could call for Elijah to help them. And they misunderstood the, the language of him saying, Eli, Eli, which means my God, my God. But they don't, they don't get it at all. They see the Son of God suffering under the wrath of God, and they just, well, this is gonna, what's going to happen It's like when you're driving down the road and you see a horrible crash and the likelihood of pain and carnage and you're like, ooh, what's happening over there? They didn't understand. And Elijah does not show up. In fact, no one shows up. So Jesus cries out again. It says... In verse 50, and Jesus cried out again and with a loud voice yielded up his spirit. Now, in his last moments, Jesus was not overcome by death. He gave up his spirit. It's worth noting and it's hopeful for me that even in the last moment, Jesus decides now is the moment. And the the other gospels say that that he says it is finished. He understands that his, his assignment has been accomplished that the debt has been paid and he yields up his spirit. And we go from the cries of Jesus to the confirmation about Jesus. We see three things happening in verse 51. It says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The curtain temple was torn in two. Axis to the temple represented access to God. You came to the temple to come to God. You came to the temple to hear from God. You came to the temple to be cleansed by God. The temple was where God was, but there was a curtain that separated God from the people. And there was a curtain inside the temple that separated the most holy of holy places where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to reside and where everyone else went except for the high priest who went once a year. And in this moment where Jesus dies on the cross, God tears the temple curtain in half. It's signified by that, by the tearing of the temple from the top to bottom. In this moment, God the Father was vindicating his Son. God had ripped the curtain. And because of that, we were being given access. The writer of Hebrews reflects on this moment in Hebrews chapter 10. Thinking about the curtain and the access that God gave us through his son, Jesus Christ, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, what? Not by access that the priests give us, no, but by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. You see, God, as he was pouring the wrath that he had over our sins onto his son, was preparing the way for us to have access to Him. I had this picture as I was thinking about how to how to imagine this, the significance of this, and the only way I could think about it would, was to imagine what it would be like to be adopted, maybe adopted as a ten-year-old, not not a baby, but old enough to know that that you are abandoned, old enough to know that that for whatever reason your parents aren't in the picture and then this family adopts you and not only do they adopt you they bring you into the house it's a beautiful house it's wonderful it smells nice there's cookies that's really all a kid needs right it smells nice and there's cookies there's toys and then and then they take you to the room and it has everything you could ever want the bed is awesome It's a loft bed. You've never had a loft bed. You get to climb up into it. There are stuffies everywhere. If you don't know what a stuffy is, ask one of the kids who's here, A Squishmallow. Now, I'm just name dropping, And, and you look and you're like, how, how, how did they know? And they say, well, our son died. This is his room. God ripped his son so that we could come in. It says that he, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. God was confirming the ministry of Jesus. The temple was the temple was made accessible as the curtain was torn, but not only this, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The word "split" and "torn" are the same word. So God, He splits the curtain and He splits creation. And, and we see that, that what happened in the beginning in Genesis, the, the fall, the breaking of creation, is now beginning to be brought back together by the rebreaking. The plan that God had before the foundations of the world to reunite all of, the, all of creation, to bring restoration. This is, this is my commentary. I think the fact that God didn't just tear the curtain but also broke the rocks speaks to the fact that God was saying in this moment we are stepping into a new, a new season of life. And it's not just one in which we have access to the Father. It's one in which all of the things that have been broken in creation are going to be reversed. Take it for what you will. I don't know if any commentators said that. But in these two acts, God was acknowledging before creation and humanity that Jesus was his son, the son of God. And then this weird thing happens. It says the tombs were also opened, right? There's an earthquake. The tombs, which are not underground, but above ground, they open, which that's not super crazy, but what what is crazy is that he says, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So we don't know much about this situation because none of the other gospel writers record it, but we know that, that Matthew seems to believe that it happened, that one of, the, one of the things that was a result of the death of Jesus Christ was the, the resurrection of the, the, some of these, these Old, Testament, Old Testament believers. These were Jewish believers who trusted that God would bring about the Messiah, that he would bring a Savior. And God, again, in this moment, was bringing these, these saints back to life as a way of saying that this is a change in history, this is a new thing that God is doing. And, and by Matthew mentioning this not just at the point of resurrection but the point of Christ's death, we see that it is, is, it is his blood that brings about this redemption. It's not just the resurrection, but it's the fact that Jesus suffered that brings about new life in us. When you stand before God with a, a resurrected body... And you are worshiping and fulfilling every purpose for which you were were made. It will not just be because God God defeated sin and Jesus rose from the dead. It will also be because Jesus bled. Because he suffered. Through all these things, the, the curtain, the earthquake, the resurrections, God was showing creation that his son had brought about a new era. And those who were present understood what God was trying to say. It goes on to talk about this group of centurions. Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. I mean, just, just imagine for a second being a centurion. This is, this is rough work. These were professional executioners. They had seen things. They were not queasy. They were not easily awed, I would assume. And they were probably very numb to reality because you would have to be to do this kind of thing. And they had seen other crucifixions that began as Jesus' began, that kept on, and that ended just with Death or it ended where they had to break the legs of the people who were being crucified so that the death would go quickly. Never had they seen a man wrestling with what was happening to him, trying to communicate some things in the final hour and then giving up his spirit and then dying and then everything going crazy. I mean, can you imagine? And, and not only that, they're not fools so imagine you're the guy and, and you're crucifying this man and it's getting dark and it's just getting dark and this is not weather Matthew wasn't like it, it was overcast and cloudy you know, this was abnormal unusual, noteworthy and, and even, even a, a, just a self-respecting superstitious person would say something's going on here And they had seen that something had happened, something different had happened, and it says that they had this testimony. Truly, this was the Son of God. It's, it's worth noting that Gentiles were some of the first ones to kind of get it on the other side of things. I mean, that's that's the grace of God in the Book of Matthew, which is intended to minister to Jews. <laughs> that he's like the Gentiles got it. How about you? Anyways, um, they said, truly, this was the Son of God. And finally, you had these faithful women. It says in verses 55 and 56, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. These were faithful women. They were committed women. When all the, all the men who, you know, Peter, I will never forsake you, Jesus. I've got a sword. I'll cut people's ears off. He runs off. One of them runs off, and, and someone tries to grab him, and he just takes off his clothes. And whew, don't do that, kids. Um, but these women faithfully follow him. And I struggled a little bit with what their their testimony was because it doesn't say a lot about them except that they're there. But that's the point. They are there. They're standing with Jesus. They may not quite get all of it at this point because, you know, when, when it gets to the point where Jesus comes back from the dead, Mary goes to the tomb and she doesn't understand and she's asking so they may, they may not quite get it, but they are still standing in solidarity in solidarity with Jesus. They're faithful. So we see that there's a confession, and then there are these companions. And as we as we think about Good Friday, I I, I was struck with the question: Why would God allow this? You know the 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 commentary that Matthew is trying to make is that Jesus is God's son. I've got two sons and I can tell you I would not be okay with this. <laughs> why, why would Jesus, why would God do this? Well, it says in, in 1 John It says this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And how did he love us? But he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The amazing thing about God is that he loves us. I'll say that again. The the amazing thing about God is that he loves me. He shows, up his, uh, he shows us his love by sending Jesus to be the propitiation, and that's a word that we don't use anymore. I mean, it's just, unless you're in a certain stream of Christianity and then you use it a lot because it feels good. I say that as a guy in that stream, so not, if you feel picked on, it's because I love you. But that word, to propitiate, to make someone propitious, is to basically appease them. And, and the news that, that the gospel gives to us is not good news on the front end because it is news that you and I are wretched sinners. I am a wretched sinner in the face of God. It says that we have all wandered off. In, in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way i've got an idea parents have you ever had a kid say that i've got an idea you're like i didn't ask for your idea this is not the time for your ideas this is the time for you to obey my ideas kids obey your parents ideas we've all gone astray and, and it's funny and cute when we talk about that, but when it comes to God, who is infinitely valuable, infinitely honorable, our going astray is akin to infinitely dishonoring an infinitely, infinitely honorable God. And the, the second part of that verse says this You know, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him talking about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. God did this because he loves us. (laughs) Isaac Watts writes, one of the most, he he wrote a a lot of hymns, but one of the most famous hymns It's been reworked as a more popular worship song, but it says this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, and all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love, mingled down did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorn, thorns composed so rich a crown were their whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small it'd be too little love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all Jesus is the son of God Bible says it, God says it. How do you relate to that fact? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the reality of your love, of your cross, would never become something that is familiar. God, I'm freshly reminded of just how casual I am about your salvation and the work that it took to bring bring about my eternal life. So God, I pray that That you would do a work in my soul and the souls of everyone in here. That we would see and, and savor and appreciate the love that you've expressed through the death of your son. And God, I pray that at the same time we'd be willing to see the wretchedness of our own sin. Not so that we could beat up on ourselves but so that we could be humbled in order that you might exalt us. God, your word says that you, you exalt those who are humble, but you oppose the proud. So Lord, show us our sin in order that you might show us your salvation. Show us our rebellion and disobedience in order that you might show us your love and your, your provision in your Son, Jesus Christ. If you're in this room and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you want to trust Him today as the one who takes away the penalty for your sin by His death. Would you just raise your hand? Great. What's that time? So you can put it back down. You just pray with me. Jesus, I trust in You. I turn away from everything I know to be sin help me to live this life out following you in your name and pray amen